Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you would, be open your Bibles to Mark the ninth chapter. We won't have slides tonight, and so open your Bible and we'll study along uh, Mark the ninth chapter. Allow me to mention a few things that are just wonderful. Uh, we appreciate being a part of a congregation that God has given so much to us that then we can freely give. And an example was last Sunday with the supply in July, how quickly uh, those packets were taken uh, to supply needs for the beginning of school for people right here in our community. We appreciate John Michael and all the work that he puts into organizing this and preaching last Sunday evening. And, uh, and then to each of you for, for taking part in that. And glory be to God and all of that. Also at the beginning of this past week, we had our chisel and skull which is with our high school uh, guys and college-age guys and high school girls. And we spent 48 hours out on the road stopping and seeing various ministries and trying to open our eyes to the opportunity that God gives us uh, to serve in the kingdom. We know from 1 Peter 4 and 10, He gives every one of us gifts and abilities. And so it's our responsibility to nurture that and to find that and, and to identify in His service uh, in the kingdom in that. And so we're thankful for the opportunity to be a part of that trip and uh, you know this, but we have wonderful young people. And we're thankful for parents and grandparents uh, that, that lead them in this way. And we're thankful for the young people, for the tremendous uh, young people that they are. It is a highlight of the year to be able to be with them uh, those 48 hours. Uh, it's wonderful to know that 16,500 packets can be stuffed in a couple of hours. And thank you for each of you that turned out and uh, gave your efforts in that particular effort. I want to encourage you, please, uh, whatever you got to do, if, if you need to set a reminder on your phone, uh, if you need to download the Echo app, it's a wonderful app to remind you of things that you want to be praying about. Uh, but whatever you do to remind yourself to pray, please put Stateside Mission Trip on your prayer uh, list today and for the next couple of weeks. Please be praying fervently uh, about that. Also, uh, we look forward to as uh, some will be away next Sunday at Stateside. Austin will be, Austin Oakley will be preaching here Sunday morning and then Sunday evening uh, we will continue a series that in a sense will be beginning tonight and it will be a series for uh, four Sunday nights and we're calling it Glorifying Jesus by listening. And tonight we're going to be studying about listening to the Father about Jesus. And Dr. Ed Gallagher will be speaking next Sunday evening and he's done extensive study in the Old Testament and he's going to be speaking about listening to the prophets about Jesus. And then Walt Lever will speak the next Sunday evening and it will be listening to Jesus about you. And then uh, the last Sunday evening in July will be listening to others like Jesus. And Steve Cunningham, uh, or Steve Cummings will be the speaker on that night. And some of you may remember, uh, it has been several years ago. Uh, but Steve actually came several years ago here. And he did some pretty in-depth and very informative workshops on listening in a way to better serve people and to restore people that are struggling or falling away. And so he has a lot of, of expertise in that, in that area. And so we look forward to all of these Sunday evenings to be better in touch with listening, whether it's to God or the prophets or to what Christ would say to us or even to others that we could encourage. So be looking forward 
to that. I want to read to you a few phrases that many of you will recognize, maybe all of these, from Scripture. See what they have in common. Some standing here will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God present with power. It is good for us to have been here. Let us make three tabernacles. This is my beloved son, hear him. If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. The son of man is being betrayed into the hands of men and they will kill him. And after he's killed, he'll rise on the third day. If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. Who is not against us is on our side. Whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, assuredly, I say to you, he'll by no means lose his reward. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble, it'd be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Salt is good, but if salt loses flavor, how will you season it? What do you think all of those quotes have in common? Isn't it amazing that all those sayings of Jesus is found in Mark, the ninth chapter? Every one of those that many of us would say, I've heard those over and over. It's hard to believe all of those are in one chapter. But what would be the richest quote of all, at least for tonight's study, the richest quote would surely come from the mouth of the Almighty God Himself as He would identify Jesus. Tonight, are you willing to listen to what the Father says about Jesus? He broke the silence of heaven three times to tell us who Jesus is. We see one of those times just as he went into the triumphal entry in John the 12th chapter. We see though at the beginning of his ministry when Jesus was baptized, we see another time. But then in the middle of those two, we see the mountain of transfiguration. And so as we think about this, we think, who is Jesus? When we look in Mark the 8th chapter, uh, as a setup to Mark the 9th chapter, you remember back in the 8th chapter in verse 29, Jesus is speaking, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered and he said, you are the Christ. And Matthew's account of this very same time in Matthew 16 would say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. The question of the first century was, who is Jesus? Throughout the New Testament, the struggle over and over is to try to figure out who is he and what are we going to do with him? You remember even the very town that he grew up in, whenever Jesus began his public ministry and he came back through Nazareth and he tried to tell him who he was, that he was the Messiah. Do you remember what they did? They didn't say, oh, Jesus, let's have a group hug. You're the Messiah. Instead, they tried to kill him. Tonight, you may sit comfortable in your religion and in your spirituality to say, oh, I know who Jesus is. 
But listen, that's usually not the case. Throughout the ages, people have struggled to realize and to live their life in view of who is Jesus. And so Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? And then he began to describe to them what it meant for him to be the Christ. In other words, Peter could intellectually answer this question. I can tell you who you are. You're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. Oh, that's great. But do you know what that means, Peter? Do you know what the Christ, the Messiah, must do? Well, and, and, and just to scan some things, notice in 31, this is what the Son of Man's come to do, to suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He spoke these words openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter saying, get behind me, Satan, for you're not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Peter, on one hand, you give a beautiful answer. You get it. I'm the son of God. Now, do you realize what the son of God must do? Do you realize that I'm here to suffer? Do you realize that I'm here to die? Do you realize, though, don't lose hope. I'll resurrect. Hey, Jesus, let me pull you aside here. Let me tell you something, Jesus. We're not going to let that happen. Get behind me, Satan. The very purpose that he came to this earth was to go to the cross so that he could not only seek but save the lost. And Peter is standing between Jesus and the cross. And Jesus addresses him as Satan. Get behind me. You're not going to stop me on my mission. You see, it's one thing to intellectually babble the correct answer of who Jesus is. It's another thing to understand his mission and to fall in line with the Lord that reigns over our life. Just as we studied this morning. You can't share in the glory of God unless you're willing to share in the suffering of God. And tonight as we study, who is Jesus? You and I need to recognize that we are to walk in similar steps. That we too are to carry a likeness of Christ. And that's why perhaps when we read in the ninth chapter in verse 2, now after six days. You see, the verses we skipped over were other strong verses telling us about how we are going to have to be willing to lose our life to live for the Lord. And then we read in verse 2, now after six days. That's perhaps an unusual way to begin a paragraph because if we're really paying attention, it causes us to say, okay, what do you mean now after six days? That's implying that something happened six days ago. Apparently what happened six days ago was that sharp discussion where he calls him Satan. And you can imagine all that are listening to him are probably kind of like reeling, thinking, what is this spiritual life? We were excited about being followers of Jesus, but now Jesus is telling he's going to die and he's telling us we're going to have to lose our life in order to follow him. And perhaps it sent them in, in, in a type of tailspin. Perhaps it left them confused. Perhaps they were in the fog. And so he takes the three closest and we experience here in reading what we call the mountain of transfiguration. Let's read it together and then let's study this tonight in the lesson jurors. Verse 2, now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves and he was transfigured before them. What does that mean? Well, here's a description of it. His clothes became shining 
exceedingly white like snow, such as no launder on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. And a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. Hear him. Suddenly, when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore but only Jesus with themselves. Isn't it amazing to think of transfiguration, the very idea of metamorphosis, something changing? And what's interesting is even though we see here on this mountain the description that, that, the description, that his clothes were, were brilliant and, and that there was this glory about him, once he left that mountain, we do not know anything from the interaction with others that that outside glory continued to exist. In other words, we don't see him coming off the mountain and all the locals saying, wow, look at that guy, he is shining. What is up with him? But nevertheless, the glory of God was no doubt within him. Let me remind you, in Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, we see the prophecy in verse 2 that there was nothing special about the outward look of Jesus. See in Isaiah 53 and 2, for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. I know oftentimes in, in artwork, that we see pictures of Jesus and there's like a halo over his head or, or in the background there's, there's like a, a glory or a brilliance. You realize that we don't know of anything like that about the presence of Jesus. Jesus in one sense looked like an ordinary man. Isaiah prophesied and said there's not going to be an intention drawn to him because he was so handsome or because he had this unique or special look about him. So what is this glory? A part of this glory, no doubt, had to be the internal man and the man's conduct and the man's life and the man's heart. Turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews, the first chapter. I'd like to remind you of the third verse. In verse 1 and 2, we're learning how God spoke in verse 1 in various times, in various ways under the Old Testament times. But in verse 2, this is Hebrews 1 and verse 2. In these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Now notice the rest of this sentence in 3 and think about the glory of Jesus. Who being the brightness of his. Now this would be the brightness. Now this is talking about Jesus. He was the brightness of God's glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Here the Hebrew writer brings out a part of the glory of Jesus is that he reflected the majesty and the glory of God the Father. 
and the power in his words were the power that was in the word of his heavenly father. And you perhaps then will remember passages like John, the first chapter in verse four, when Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And then John interrupts that report to say this, and we beheld his what? We beheld his glory. It's the glory of the only begotten of the Father. Full of what? Full of grace and truth. Now, I'm not suggesting to you that that one expression explains it all. But if you could ask John, John, what was it that got your attention about the glory of God? He would say it was the fullness of his grace and it was the fullness of his truth. There was a brilliance. There was a glory about Jesus that showed the graciousness and the truth that no human being could ever display. He was showing us a display of the deity, the deity's grace, the deity's truth. What a beautiful, beautiful time for Peter, James, and John because it seems, and I don't speak as if I've got this transfiguration story all figured out, but it seems almost as if Peter, James, and John were invited to that mountain to be shown something outwardly that usually was only seen in its radiance internally. But yet in that glow, in that brilliance, they were allowed to see it. So the first thing that we see here is we see that the setup that Mark gives us is coming out of the eighth chapter of who is Jesus. And so then six days later, we see the story of the transfiguration. Now stay with that setup because that's where we're going to end in a few minutes. But let's get a few details in between. But remember the setup. Who's Jesus? Six days later, let me take you to a mountain of transfiguration. I'll help you see really who Jesus is. Okay, so what's in between? It's too important for us to neglect, and I thought especially with stateside coming up, this would be a wonderful, wonderful time uh, for us to emphasize this. When Jesus led them into a high mountain, some of the accounts of the mountain of transfiguration reveals to us, he led them to that mountain to pray. But instead, what they do is sleep. Later, these same three, this is his inner circle. When Jairus' daughter was resurrected from the dead, it was these three that were allowed to come in, Mark 5. Now they're going to Mount Transfiguration. These are the three. He's going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. These are going to be the three that he invites in. And you remember what they did in the Garden of Gethsemane? The whole purpose of going to the Garden of Gethsemane was to pray so that Jesus could gain strength and he wanted them to gain strength because there was going to be a difficult time ahead of them. And you remember what they did? They slept. Isn't it interesting that all of them were going to be going through a difficult time and Jesus was going to be the one actually to be killed and the others were going to watch their friend be crucified and Jesus was the only one that went through it perfectly and he went on multiple occasions to pray and the others were taken to a couple of those occasions to pray and they slept. 
I'm not going to ask you, although I'm very tempted to. I'd like to see how many people are honest in here. I'd like to ask you, how many of you, and we can throw it in to make you feel better. How many of you, were in, when you were young, when you were a child, how many of you have been guilty of falling asleep during a long prayer at church? And probably every one of you be able to say, yeah, just last week. No, yeah, when I was little. When I was little, I, I did that. Yeah, I did that. And you know, maybe some would be courageous enough to say, sure, it's happened to me even as an adult from time to time. Jesus apparently was accustomed to going to quiet and solitary places and praying for long periods of time. And even though it's not described to us, this verbatim, it's almost like we can assume that Peter, James, and John were invited to those encounters, but they just couldn't pray that long. And as I study that this week, I can't help but think of a childlike behavior. Almost, almost like, I'd love to be able to pray that long, but I fall asleep. I'd love to be able to pray like Jesus, but I can't stay awake. And yet look at everything that Jesus went through on this earth. And even though it's very trying, and we literally cost him his life. And he faced it all masterfully. In some way, he knew how to pray all night. And I can't help but wonder, what if God gave David Shannon everything tomorrow that David prayed for today? I'd wonder if I want my prayers to be a little longer. What if we only receive from God tomorrow the things we were thankful for in prayer today? Would I want my prayers to be a little longer? What if the only things that took place on stateside campaign were the things that you and I specifically prayed for? Would you go home tonight and tomorrow and the next night and would you suffice with a 45-second prayer about stateside? Or would you find a solitary place and would you pour out your heart to what you want God to do in the hearts of people that do not have Christ as their Savior? I don't think Jesus did it just to make a story sound more interesting. There has to be something to the fact that Jesus constantly was taking them to pray for long periods of time. And they were more childlike and would literally fall asleep over and over during those times. But let's notice another thing before we get to this close. Who shows up? Can you imagine... Faithful Jews of, of that day, like Peter, James, and John, if you could have said to them, hey, what, what do you guys think about Moses? He'd be, oh, Moses, he's one of our greatest. He was the great lawgiver. We could tell you story after story about how this man had a heart for God, how he led our people. We love Moses. What about Elijah? Wow, what a prophet. He was kind of like the elite of prophets in our book. We love Elijah. And they get on the mountain, and who shows up? Moses and Elijah. And what do they talk about? 
Luke's account tells us they talked about Jesus' decease. And remember, that's the word in Greek for exit. And it even says that he would accomplish. In other words, you remember just six days before, Peter stood between Jesus and the cross and Matthew 16's account says that he told Jesus, I will not allow this to happen to you. And on the other hand, Moses and Elijah talked to Jesus about his death and he says, what you shall accomplish. Moses, Elijah, and Jesus looked at Jesus' death very differently than the way Peter looked at Jesus' death. You'd like to think, our theme here on Sunday night, listen, you'd like to think that Peter would be listening to that and that he would be picking up on that and that he would be learning that, you know what, I haven't been seeing Jesus for exactly all that he is and I surely haven't been seeing him going to the cross and dying for all that it is. It's almost like you, you want to think that while Moses and Elijah and Jesus are having this conversation, it's almost like you could see Jesus constantly looking over to Peter. Say, are you hearing this? Do you get it? Remember six days ago? How do you look at your death? Is it something you'll accomplish or is it something that will happen to you? Brother, I'm not suggesting to you that you and I should have some kind of depressed mode of life that, that in, in a, a, a clinically sick type of way that, that we want to die. It's not that at all. But when we truly understand our place in Christ, we understand that the best is yet to come. And death is not something that happens to us. If we die in Christ, it is something we accomplish. Look at your walls and see accomplishments. Flip back through your memories and see accomplishments. I remember when. I remember this. You don't have an accomplishment that gets close to dying in the Lord. Nothing. Can you imagine what Elijah and Moses and Jesus' discussion was? And don't you just know that Jesus was desperately hoping Peter was picking up on this. But before we go to that close, we've got to mention this. Peter speaks up. And I know when I read it, I would guess some of you probably smiled or at least smiled within. You remember Peter is so wrapped up in this, he just has to say something. And so he says, I tell you what, my suggestion is let's build three tabernacles. We have three great ones here. The great lawgiver, Moses. The great prophet Elijah, and we love Jesus Christ. Let's build a tabernacle, one tabernacle for each one of these. Sounds like a compliment. It was a slam. It was undermining who Jesus really is. Jesus is so much more than Moses. That's what the book of Hebrews teaches us. Jesus is so much more than a prophet. You'll hear people today say, you know, I don't really believe that Jesus is deity, but I believe he lived and I believe he was a good teacher. That won't cut it. Jesus wasn't just a good man. Jesus wasn't just a good teacher. 
Jesus wasn't just a carpenter from Nazareth. What would break the silence of heaven? For Peter to say, I think Jesus is equal to Elijah and Moses. Now that we've set that up, let's read this for emphasis in the lesson's yours. Verse 7, Mark 9. And a cloud came and overshadowed them. You know, we see it oftentimes in the Old Testament and not nearly as many times in the New Testament, but oftentimes a cloud represented the presence of God coming in. Now, we know that God is always present, but that was the way he showed people, I'm here. And so you can imagine this occasion where Peter, which the verse that we, right before this that we didn't read again, Remember, he said he only spoke this because he didn't know what to say. <laughs> that, that ought to be enough said, right? How many times do we speak when we don't know what to say? And a good lesson is when we don't know what to say, what? Don't say anything at all. And so, so this ridiculous statement that we're, that we're going to put Jesus on an equal playing field, the presence of God shows up in a cloud, verse 7, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son. Hear him. Listen to him. He's so much greater than the greatest prophets. He's so much more than the lawgiver of the old covenant. This is my son. Poor, poor Peter. Do you realize that the last time in scripture he spoke up was there in Mark the 8th chapter. Remember what Jesus said to him. Satan Get behind me. And so we don't know much more, he said. Okay, so you can imagine, I don't know this really, I don't. But you can imagine him saying, I'm just going to be quiet for a few days. I'm not going to say much. I, I really messed that one up. So imagine him saying, I'm not going to say much for six days. And then finally he goes to Mountain Transfiguration. Okay, I, I'm going to speak up again. I'll tell you what, let's build three tabernacles. And then the Father in heaven speaks up. and says, are you listening? Hear him. What plane have you put Jesus on? Poor Peter. I know the scriptures doesn't tell us anything about that afternoon about Peter and his thoughts relating to that. But if he's anything like you and me, can you imagine what he went to bed thinking that night? Can you imagine him thinking, I just need to keep my mouth shut. I, I've been called Satan by Jesus and I have been chewed out by the Almighty Father in heaven. But why, Peter? Because you tried to get between Jesus and his mission to save. And because you spoke about Jesus as if he was an equal to the great Moses or to the great Elijah. And he's so much more. You remember C.S. Lewis made it very popular. If Jesus isn't who he says he is and who the father said he is. He's the biggest liar that's ever lived. Or he's the biggest lunatic. Who would believe a lie and then die for it? A lunatic. But what if he's not a liar and what if he's not a lunatic? 
the only reasonable deduction has to be he is Lord. It's one thing to speak of him being Jesus Christ. It's an entirely another thing for you and I to be able to personally say with conviction, he is my Lord, Jesus Christ. And I think in essence, that's what the father was trying to say to Peter. Hear him. Let him be your Lord. Not Elijah, not Moses, not anybody else, not yourself. Allow him to reign. Tonight, what have you done with Jesus? Do you treat him like he's a liar, like he's a lunatic, or do you treat him like he's your Lord? Tonight, if there's anything that we can help you do this evening to move closer to your Lord, to allow Jesus to be your Lord. If you're ready tonight to be immersed into Christ, your Lord, for the remission of your sins, we'd love to assist you with that. Tonight, if you evaluate your life and you realize here, here I've been a Christian, but yet I'm not what I should be, isn't it wonderful that your Lord died to be able to restore you again and give you hope? Jesus is not looking down from heaven looking for reasons to condemn you. He has done everything he can do to save you. There's nobody that wants to be on your side like Jesus. If your life is at one with him, you're missing out on the greatest accomplishment you could have in your life. If we can help you in any way,